Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derive its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to this his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 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 Okay. We've done, I think, about five parts to this Ephesians study. So today we're going to go through each of those verses just to get a bit of insight into each one. So let's pray. Thank you, God. Lord, I just thank you for this time now. I thank you for the honor of being able to share your word, to speak your word, Lord. Uh, and Lord, I, I do sincerely feel honored to have the opportunity to preach uh, for your name and for your glory. And so, Lord, I ask you that you help me now by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you help each and every one here, uh, hearing the word, to receive it uh, with thankfulness of, and, and joy of heart. And I pray that they'll also grow and be transformed as this word comes forth. I also pray for those listening on YouTube that they'll, be, they'll receive the word also and be impacted by the word. So take this word forth in your mighty name. I pray. Amen. Dwight Moody was a, an evangelist from about 100 years ago. He, an incredible man of God. One of the most prominent Christians in history. Uh, he had... Uh, an incredible ministry, and someone once asked the evangelist how he managed to remain so intimate in his relationship with Christ. And he replied, I have come to him as the best friend I've ever found, and I can trust him in that relationship. I have believed he is Savior, and I have believed that he is God. I have believed his atonement on the cross is mine, and I have come to him and submitted myself on my knees, surrendered everything to him, and gotten up and stood by his side as my friend. And there isn't any problems in my life, there isn't any uncertainty in my work, but I turn and speak to him as naturally as to someone in the same room. And I've done it these years because I can trust Jesus. And that's why Moody could claim to be filled with Christ, could walk in Christ and talk for Christ, and uh, confidently go forth and evangelize thousands and thousands of people. Now, just before we really kick into this study, I'm just going to go through the, a review of chapter 3. And uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, we, we looked at the mystery of Christ. This was in the last sermon. Paul was the prisoner of Christ in verse 1. His administration of a, a mystery that was given to him was in verse 2. The mystery made known by revelation, he's, he's talking about. This was a revelation that came to him from God. He discusses in verses 3 to 4. And the mystery was revealed by the spirits of the apostles and prophets. He talks about that, that it's, it's a, a mystery that's 
from ages past as well. Uh, the mystery of Christ revealed in verses 6 that, and this was the mystery, that the Gentiles are heirs to go with Israel. They are no longer separate from the promises, but they're members or, or, or heirs together. They're members together of one body, and they're also sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Paul's ministry role was in verses 7 to 9, that he was a servant by the power of God, that he had grace to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make this mystery plain, which has been hidden. So that was his purpose, was to uh, make this mystery plain to everyone. And now, really, that mystery is exceedingly plain in the church, but still there are those that go and distort it by thinking that Israel now have no... That, that it's not through Israel that these promises come, but it's now through the church. Replacement theology, that Israel has been replaced by the church, which is not true at all. Now, God's plan for the churches in verses 10 to 13 is that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. Uh, the church to accomplish this according to the eternal purpose which God accomplished in Christ. So the church had to accomplish this. And the, what the church had to accomplish was the manifold wisdom of God being known if you want to understand from that perspective. Approach God with freedom in Christ, that we have that possibility to approach God with freedom. And we also are not to be discouraged by Paul's sufferings, which he was enduring at that time, which because he was writing this letter, I believe, from prison. So the overview of what we're going to look at today is Paul's submission, that he, in verses 14 to 15, and that he was kneeling before God in submission to God and that he acknowledged his name. And that's quite a little interesting passage there. Also, Paul's prayer request in verses 16 to 19, that we're strengthened with the Spirit's power in the inner being, that Christ may dwell in us by faith, verse 17, that we be rooted and established in love and we will all have power with all the believers to grasp the four-dimensional aspect of Christ's love. And I'll explain that further when we get there. To know his love and be filled with the fullness of God. That's verse 19. And the doxology is uh, honouring him who can do more than we realise according to his great power within us. Uh, and also in verse 21, glory to him in the church and in Christ forever. Ephesians 3.14. Paul said, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Now when he said for this reason, what was he talking about? Something that obviously... Well, something he had just talked about. The next verse doesn't actually give you the reason. The reason, he says, was because he, what he had just said gave him the reason to kneel before the Father. And the reason, uh, well, the things he was just talking about previously was that the mystery of Christ was Gentiles are heirs with Israel. They're members of one body and they're shares in, in Christ's promise. And also that the church was to reveal God's manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ. So that's that. They're the reasons, and because of that, him and he he realized the gravity of what that really means. He was in awe of God, so he uh, was in awe of the majesty and the sovereignty of God, and he was humbled. He humbled himself in worship before him, because when you really do realize and understand the gravity of those mysteries that have been revealed, you can't help but stand in awe of God. If you're not in awe of God because of those mysteries revealed, it's because you don't understand the gravity, isn't it? You know, because uh, what God's done for us uh, through Jesus Christ on the cross is just magnificent. He's, uh, and we won't fully understand it until we're in heaven and we're enjoying the blessings and we're living under those blessings. Then we'll look back and say, God, you're a marvel. But if we, can, we should pray now that God will give us understanding of that today so that we can 
get it in our heart that he has done something so wonderful so that we can articulate it to others and encourage them also to take part in it. He then said in Ephesians 3.15, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derive its name. So the family of God is the body of Christ the church and those who belong to him and bear his name. And his name is, or when we bear his name, we Christian. Yeah. So we're Christians. Barnes tells us the whole family of God means all his children. And the idea is that they all bear the same name derived from the Redeemer. All are Christians, no matter where they are in heaven or on earth. Uh, no matter from what nation they are converted, whether Jews or Gentiles, they all have one name and one Redeemer and all belong to one family. So we're one family and a true believer anywhere in the world is a brother and sister in the Lord. And we should treat them as such. We should embrace them as family wherever we go. Power in the Spirit. Ephesians 3.16 I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Power through his spirit. So once again, we see a divine prayer of the Holy Spirit being uttered from the lips of Paul. Because he's praying this. And this is what we've got to pray for one another as well. That out of his glorious, out of Christ's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So in Ephesians 1.18 to B to 19, which was just a few uh, verses earlier, Paul prayed that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So a very similar prayer. He was praying for power. He was praying, praying that, we'd, um, that out of the riches of his glorious inheritance, we will receive that great power. And so what does that mean? What is the glorious riches of Christ? Anyone? Salvation. Salvation. The Holy Spirit. Yeah. And the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah. And, and there's, there's more. You know, you know, this is a treasure, glorious riches of Christ. But out of the abundant riches of an eternal creator, if you think of it, an eternal creator who created all that is by his very great power, everything that is, Paul prays a prayer that we would access this great creative power by the Spirit of God inside our very beings. He prayed that we would access God who creates all things. You know, and the apostles back in, in the book of Acts, when they embraced that power, what were they seeing all around them? Signs and wonders, Signs and, wonders and miracles taking place. They were, seeing, they were seeing people raised from the dead. They were seeing things that were supernatural, things that weren't supposed to happen in the natural, but they happened because of a supernatural God working through them. The New Living Translation of this scripture, Ephesians 3.16, says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will give you mighty inner strength through the Holy Spirit, through his Holy Spirit. So his glorious unlimited resources. Because we have a creative God that can create something out of nothing. Christ indwelling us. Ephesians 3.17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We are referred to in Scripture as temples of the Holy Spirit. Is that right? Yeah. Who believes they're a temple of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Who feels like they're a temple of the Holy Spirit? Um, Not right. Sometimes. So we believe we are, but we don't feel we are. Do you think there's a difference between that? Yeah, I reckon there is. Who can't help but talk about Jesus all the time? That's what I was saying before about the Indian people in India. 
uh, the minister, ministers over there, they just can't help but speak about Christ all the time. They live and breathe it. It's just so deeply entrenched in their in their life. And really, are we called to that? We are called to that. Mm. Now, you've got to be you know, wise in that as well. You can't just go up to absolutely everybody and just start preaching Christ. But what it can mean is that we can be conscious of God all the time and always be looking for opportunities just to bless someone or pray for someone or reach out to someone with a message at the right time. You know, you can't just go up to your mates and start telling them about Jesus all the time because they're just going to think you're a loony tune, you know. Um, So you've got to choose your moments, but you've still got to be living for God in your heart. We are referred to in Scripture as temples of the Holy Spirit. Earlier in Ephesians verse 2.22, and it says, uh, And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So many of us find it difficult to accept Christ into our hearts by faith. You've all accepted Christ into your hearts by faith, I'm assuming, yeah? So Scripture is clear that those who have Christ, that's gone again, those who have Christ in them are saved. That is why Christianity is called a faith. It's not because we believe everything blindly and we call that faith. It's because we've accepted Christ into our hearts by faith. So when I ask you who believes you have Christ in your hearts and you and those that put their hand up, it's correct. Because you can't believe that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Who believes Jesus is Lord? Yeah, everyone? Convinced in your heart? Yeah, you'd die for that belief? Okay, so Christ is in you. That means the Holy Spirit is in you. And by faith, you can accept that Christ is in your heart. You know, now it's just once you get something in there, now it's a matter of getting him to work out through us, through our life. So scripture is clear that those who have Christ in them are saved. That is why Christianity is called a faith. So to have faith does not mean that to believe is logically incoherent. Just because you have faith that Christ dwells in your heart doesn't mean our faith now is logically incoherent. It doesn't make sense anymore because it's just this mystical thing that we have. For Christianity is extremely intellectually satisfying. Who's discovered that? Who's discovered that as you look into Christian things, as you start reading apologetic information, and as you start you know, watching Chuck Missler videos and, and so on, suddenly Christianity is the most intellectually stimulating of just about any study that you could possibly do from many, many different angles, from a science angle, from a philosophical angle, etc. But we must know by faith that he's in us. So that's the faith element, is knowing that he's in us. And why? Because the word tells us that he's in us. That if we can confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that he was raised from the dead, we are saved that he is in us. Amen? So rooted and established, Ephesians 3, 17b to 18. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So Paul prays the most impressive prayer in relation to being established in the love of Christ and by this love receiving power with the church. So receiving that power. So we've got to start praying this, Lord, give us that power. Give us the power. Who wants that power? Power to heal, power to lay hand on sick people and see them getting up. Yeah. Who wants who would love to have that power? Seriously, I would. I would. Who wouldn't? You know, if you walk through a hospital of, of a children's hospital and see all the sick kids all dying of cancer and and you name it, every other thing that they're dying of, 
And you, if you don't walk out of that hospital emotionally moved and stirred, there's something dead inside you. You know what I mean? But if you would, could, if you walked out of there, I'm sure most people will be thinking, I just wish that I could do something to help those kids. You know what I mean? When you see people suffering, you just wish you could do something to help the suffering in the world. And we know that the Bible tells us that we can be those people, that we're supposed to be those people. You know, so start praying that you can be established in love and may have power. So you have to be established in love. It's that love that, that moves your heart. So when you see all those kids sick in those hospital beds, that love for them moves your heart. That makes you seek God harder. That makes you want to be impacted by the power of God so that we can do something in Jesus' name. So Paul prays the most impressive prayer, I'll go back on that, uh, in relation to being established in the love of Christ and by this love receiving power with the church. He then prays the significant prayer in relation to the four-dimensional aspect of Christ's love. And I find this amazing. Uh, Chuck Missler was the, the guy who sort of brought this to my attention. And he goes into a quite a heavy scientific view of this whole thing. I'm not going that the same direction, but I am looking at the four dimensions of Christ's love. There are two horizontal dimensions and two vertical dimensions. Breadth and length are the horizontal ones. And height and depth are the vertical dimensions of God's love. What does that make? A cross. That, that sort of encapsulates Christ's love, doesn't it? There is no greater sacrifice made for men than what Jesus did for us on the cross. That is the pure expression of his love. So when um, Paul said, I'll just go back on it, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep, that's the NIV, or in the, um, in the King James, it's height and depth and breadth and length. So isn't that interesting, that the cross is in that little verse? Breadth comes from the Greek word platos, which suggests a great extent, wide. Length comes from mikos, or mekos, which suggests length. And height comes from uh, hypsos, which suggests the height of our place, or rank. And depth comes from bathos, which suggests the deep things of God, like the depths of the sea. Now, I said them all wrong by the Greek pronunciations, but uh, Greek scrutineers is the problem preaching to a bunch of Greeks. The love of Christ has a dimension which reveals the eternal nature of his love. Breadth, length and height represent the three-dimensional aspects of love which we as humans can have for one another. This is, this is uh, something that we could clarify and I'm sure can be clarified in Scripture. But however, the fourth dimension, bathos or depth, is a dimension which can only be known in God alone. And here's the Scripture, 1 Corinthians 2.10. It says, But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The depth of God is searched by the Spirit. So that to know that love, you've got to have the Spirit of God. You can't understand the deep things of God without the Spirit of God. So filled to the fullness of God. Ephesians 3.19 says, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul is praying that we know this deep love of God by the Spirit who searches the deep things of God. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. And that's what he's praying for, for us to have. 
God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At that time when we were still sinners, that Christ came along and died. Who's heard that a million times? Yeah? We've heard that so often, haven't we? Why do we keep preaching it? We keep, keep sinning. Yeah, we keep sinning as Christians and we shouldn't. But why else? It's a reminder. It's in the word and why it keeps getting preached is because God knows human nature. We keep forgetting we keep forgetting and we forget and we forget and we have to get retold and then we forget again. How many parents can agree that you can tell, tell a child to do something, you have to remind them, you know, half a dozen times sometimes, you know, because we keep forgetting. <laughs> Matthew, you're looking at James like a parent there sometimes. <laughs> All right, so if we grasp this love that surpasses knowledge, which is the cross, we will certainly be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Honouring a limitless God. Ephesians 3.20 Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. This is a doxology or a liturgical formula of praise to God. Usually you get a doxology at an end of a book. This one happens to fall right in the middle of the book. It makes Ephesians be in two halves. It ends at three, at the end of three with an amen and then it the whole book ends at the end of six, except it doesn't say amen, but it sh- I believe it should, so I write amen in it myself because he did another doxology at the end as well. So in this wonderful doxology, Paul praises a God who can do far more than what we can ever possibly comprehend in this finite existence. So Paul points out that he who is in us, the Holy Spirit, has the power to do uncomprehendable things. Things that you don't even expect. We need to pray that God will help us to understand something of the power that is in us by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray that right now just before we do the last screen. Lord, I just pray that you can help us to understand this power. Lord, I know that uh, from my experience in churches that the biggest lack in this church is this reality. That we, we don't really understand or comprehend or grasp the, the power that is within us. By the Holy Spirit, the power to heal, the power to uh, work miracles, the power to do exceedingly more than we can ask or imagine. And Lord, I pray that you'll just really give us a revelation of this. I pray that you'll move us to pray more because, Lord, I know that that's lacking in all of us, that we, we don't pray as we should. I could say very confidently that you know a good portion of us today even uh, didn't get up out of bed and pray. And, and probably will not pray before they go to bed. I just pray that there really comes a change, that we start to just take a leaf out of those uh, ministers' books from India, that we would start to live the Christian life realistically, Lord, because I just don't want to see anyone here get to heaven and have not pleased you because that we didn't live for you. Lord, I pray for a change that we would start to live for you with all our hearts. And I'm not saying it to those that are living with all their hearts, Lord. I'm only saying it to those that aren't living with all their hearts, whoever they may be. I'm not pointing the finger at anyone. But, Lord, I just pray that you'll really do a stirring. And I know I need a, I need a huge stir to get myself really deep in prayer and deep into the Word of God. Lord, if there's anyone here that's just sick of me talking like this, Lord, I pray that you bring conviction on them in the name of Jesus, that they will... Uh, get convicted by the Holy Spirit and just switched on to the truth. Lord, I pray that the Word of God will become everything to them.
I pray that they won't be able to stop praying and that, that your Holy Spirit will grip them and transform their hearts by the power of God. And I pray for a real awakening to occur. Lord, because this world at the moment, we're heading towards a giant catastrophe in, in many areas and financially, governmentally, from a cultural points of view in so many places, Lord. We're seeing the world is, is really becoming a, a terrible, terrible place. And Lord, we need you and, and, and having a reality of you and understanding you and walking in you is going to be the most significant thing to keep us alive in these coming days and alive for eternity also, Lord. So I pray that you would really shake us up as a people. In the name of Jesus, amen. Glory to Christ forever. So Ephesians 3.21, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. He is so worthy of glory. Jesus is so worthy of praise. He has a... He has had a remnant throughout all generations who has lifted up his name and given him the glory due to him. There's always been a remnant. And they're the ones that are highly esteemed in the kingdom of God. You know, life is a very fleeting thing. We're here one day, we're gone the next. I know you've heard it, but one day you're going to live it. One day we're all going to move on from this life. Is that true? This life is temporary. This life is short. We're here today, gone tomorrow. You know, you don't know. We uh, today we might be thinking, oh, I don't know if this Christian stuff is all boring. You know, I can't, don't really care much for it. And then tomorrow, guess what? You meet your maker. Oh, it is real. <laughs> it is true. You're there. So what I was listening to every Sunday was true. I just used to get bored. Why did I get bored? It was so true. You know what I'm saying? Too many Christians take the word of God too lightly. They don't care for it. And the evidence of that is they don't read it. And it breaks God's heart because he's given us this book. He's given us this to guide us through life. He's given us this to get to know him so that when we go to meet him, we're the happiest people we can be. We want to get to heaven and be in joy because he's real. I can't wait to meet Jesus. We don't want to get there and be ashamed of our conduct on earth and say, oh, Jesus is coming. Oh, man, where do I hide? Because he knows what I've been like in relation to him. He's known the life I've lived in relation to him. He knows when I should have been praying, I was on doing something else. He knows when I should have been reading the Bible because the Spirit prompted me that I didn't. I did something else. He knows that. And you know that. You know what I'm saying? And you want to get there. You want to get there and know that, Lord, you know I live for you. King David could say that. He could be confident in knowing when he gets before God that God's going to be pleased with him. Paul could even say that, that he ran the race. You know, he's going to receive the prize, the prize that's due to him. He knew he had done everything in his power to live for Christ all of his days. He wasn't perfect. He never claimed to be perfect. But he lived for life all of his days. And we don't want to get to heaven and be found wanting. Don't get me wrong. You will not lose your salvation. If you hold to a faith in God, you will not lose your salvation. But what will break your heart is that you will know in yourself you've let the Lord down. And when you could have taken opportunities to reach someone with the word and reach someone with the gospel, you didn't. When you could have been praying for certain family members who 
who hate Jesus and, and see them come into a knowledge of the truth and come into the kingdom of God and be in heaven with you forever. You didn't take those opportunities to pray. You couldn't care less. Everything else took precedence. And life took precedence over living for Jesus. And that is the saddest place to be when you get to heaven. It's so important that we get to heaven and know that we've done everything we can. Is everyone with me on that? And this is the facts, and this is how it will feel. You'll get there, you know, and feel like you squandered your life. So even though you guys, some of you are young here, don't, don't let that be a hindrance. Don't let that deter you from serving God with all your heart. Because God isn't just the God of the adults. <laughs> He's the God of the teenagers. He's the God of the children. He's the God of, you know, all. So let's live for him with everything we've got. Okay, so we need to give him that rightful place in our life and in this church. A place where he receives glory, praise, honour and worship. For he is king and he is Lord. Amen? Amen. All right. Lord, I just pray that this message is received with open hearts. And I I pray that uh, it will be received with thanksgiving. uh, And not with a, a spirit of rejection. But uh, that, Lord, that this, this message will come in and, and really do something deep within us and stir us to step up, to step up to a new place in you. And so I pray that you, you will just move in us and, and uh, really embrace us with, with uh, your love, that love, that four-dimensional love, breadth, length, height and depth, Lord, that we will know that love that surpasses knowledge. So I pray that you do a real amazing thing in us this this day and this week and uh, move in us for the rest of our Christian life to continually uh, serve you and grow in the knowledge of God. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen.